Welcome to the Prospering Soul Podcast. This limited series is all about how to take care of your soul and how to make sure you understand the ways to be healthy and balanced in life. In this series, John Metter, lead pastor of Cross City Church, sits down to explain one of the most important secrets of his own spiritual growth and a detailed explanation of how people change. Thank you for joining us on our Prospering Soul podcast. We have been walking through this incredible series on how to prosper in your soul, all based on 3 John verse 2, a very short verse, where John writes to Gaius, and he says, I pray that you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. And if you've been with us, we've been walking through the uh, dynamic of how we're made up. We're made up of a body. Uh, we have a spirit indwelling us, and if you're a believer in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. And then you have a soul, and that's your mind, will, and emotions. And God always works through your mind, will, and emotions. He works through your soul. Uh, your body is uh, one aspect of you. The spirit is the most influential part of you. That's why if you have the spirit of God, he should be influencing your soul, your mind, will, and emotions to be able to do the right things, to understand the truth, to be uh, able to live a life in balance. And we've looked at the mind and the will and emotions. So we've looked at each of those elements and uh, as a separate entity because they kind of work together like a train. The mind uh, affects the will and it affects the emotions. So once you have a thought, it really begins to filter through your will and your emotions. And when we talk about having unbalanced emotions and unbalanced responses, it really begins back at that thought process, when you first begin to embrace a thought, whether it's true or it's not. And of course, when we embrace things that are not true, then we have outcomes that are not true. And uh, so we're going to talk about emotions for just a few minutes. And I'm going to talk to you in a very kind of a hard-hitting message that I'll share with you today about the tragedy of uncontrolled emotions, because I want you to know exactly what happens when you let your emotions run away with your life. I want you to see how thoughts impact emotions and, um, and how it affects you when you don't control those. So just as a way of reminder, the first battlefield we dealt with was the thought life. We talked about the process of a thought, how thinking actually takes place, and how the seed of God's Word can actually transform our thought life. And that's very, very important. And if you stick with us, we're going we're gonna to give you a, a, the most important verse in the Bible about dealing with your thoughts in a couple of sessions from now. So the thought life was first. Secondly, we looked at the will. The last session was about the will. And um, we have to transform our wills. And we we have to do that because uh, when we begin thinking in accuracy and in truth, it affects our desire to do the right thing versus our desire to do the wrong thing. And then there's the emotions, the feeling, basically how to deal with the way you feel. So this emotion um, process is pretty interesting, and I'm going to give you a number of principles as I talk about the tragedy of uncontrolled emotions. And then I'm going to talk to you in the next session about transforming those emotions, how this process of mind, will, and emotions is literally transformed in your life, and it brings the greatest life change. Uh, And it's very simple, and yet it's powerful at the same time. So let's listen to some verses in Scripture about our emotions, first of all. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11 says, A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Man, when we talk about the Scripture being on point and real, uh, nowhere is it more real 
in our day-to-day life than that verse right there. A fool bends all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Most of us know that intuitively, but the Bible states it as a fact. Um, another verse, version of this says, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man quietly holds it back. And still another, the Amplified Version says, A fool utters all his anger, but a wise man holds it back. Uh, those three different translations of that same verse amplifies the different way that we uh, respond to our feelings. And so the idea of expressing one's emotions without really taking time to think how one should respond, that's what this verse says. And the idea is that a fool does not take time to evaluate how he or she should feel or how he or she should respond. A person doesn't take the time to let their mind give them indications of what's true or not. Rather, they just act. And you're going to find this is a very common practice to people everywhere. They live by their feelings. And of course, everything that we have in this modern world appeals to our emotions. It makes us, even advertisements make us feel sad or happy. And we buy products based on that. We, we respond to people based on how they make us feel. And we can be easily manipulated by the same way because somebody can make us feel really great and not really have good intent towards us at all. So the result of living by one's feelings and catch this, is one of the most traumatic things that can happen to you. If you are on a roller coaster ride of emotions, you're in danger. It's not just a problem. It is imbalance in your life. And uh, you're really bound by the way you feel. So it's an amazing grip that this lifestyle has on people's lives. Now, I wrote this material more than 30 years ago. And, and 30 years ago, we weren't experiencing the kind of reactions to the way people feel that we do today. And today, in the modern world that we live in, uh, the slightest indication of anyone feeling unusual uh, lends itself to that person diving into that unusual realm of life that doesn't seem to have much balance, it's not rooted in the truth, uh, they're just going by their feelings. And, uh, and, of course, they have a lot of compassionate people who are encouraging them along their way but it's the way to darkness, and it's the way to a feeling-based lifestyle. So let's look at what happens when we confront any situation in life. As you walk along the path of life, a circumstance of some kind comes into your life. Now, I have a diagram about this that I'll reveal in the next, uh, the next talk that I give. But something happens, someone says something, you hear bad news, whatever the mental stimulus is. And as that circumstance hits you, no sooner have you realized what has happened that you're faced with a crossroads. Now, if you respond in wisdom, and if you respond after evaluating to see what's true about you've heard, about what you've heard, you're going to have a spiritual response to that circumstance. But if you respond according to your emotion, you're going to have a very human, very fleshly, very emotional response to whatever that mental stimuli is. In reality, a human response is not necessarily the right response. Now, God takes our lives, and he takes all the humanity of us and begins to transform us into his image. And it's really important that we see that he's building a spiritual person inside of each of us, and he wants us to respond in a spiritual way. So again, the Bible says in Proverbs 29 11, that in the middle of any circumstance, a fool, vent, a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Now, based on what I've just said, I want us to look at that third battlefield, emotions. And uh, let me just say, the object of conflict is how you respond to any given situation. Again, we won't deal with the weapons of, the, of that battle just yet, but we're just going to talk about the tragedy of it all. 
Um, there's key weapons that we have that'll help us overcome emotional responses to everything that confront us, and I'll, I'll talk about that next week again. Uh, it, these items are faith and obedience. In other words, choosing to believe God instead of the way I feel, that's number one, and number two, is choosing to step into obedience rather than to do what I naturally want to do. We'll talk about that next week. So let me give you six statements in this session about our emotions, and I'll back them up with scripture, and I want you to pay careful attention to what's being said about your emotions, because this this can really be a session where emotions are exposed, and I want you to allow your emotions to be exposed. Uh, There are good emotions, and there are bad emotions. I'm not advocating that we have no emotions, not at all. I just don't want people to be driven by the way they feel instead of by truth, because it always lands them in a place they don't intend to go. So these are the six statements. Number one, the emotional battle is a battle for our immediate response to a situation, our immediate response. That's where the battle happens. We think something, and this battlefield happens right then and there, and our immediate response to something is often our final response. Now, it shouldn't be, but it is. We, we feel a certain way, and we act a certain way immediately, and sometimes we can't retract that. We can't retract what we said. We can't retract the decision we made. Uh, We can't retract the anxious feelings that wash over us. So that battle is for the immediate response to a situation. How many times have you walked into a situation or a circumstance, whether it was a confrontation in a relationship, maybe you heard disappointing news, or maybe just a frustrating experience that you had, and you responded the way you've always responded, uh, with anger or with anxiety or with fear, uh, or you imagine the worst, uh, you, you let your mind think of the worst possible scenario when later on you realize it was none of that. Uh, but we wish we'd have thought better of it before we felt that way and we acted that way. And some people are so wrapped up into responding emotionally that they're always doing that. They're always angry. They're always frustrated. They're always anxious. They always struggle to trust someone, even though there's been no demonstration of distrust. And they just can't control their emotions where they make the right response uh, after hearing uh, whatever truth they're confronted with or whatever circumstance they are. Now, I get this. I get that some people are brought up in environments in their home or they have environments at work or, or in their marriage or in other relationships where uh, they've been programmed to think this way. But I want you to know you don't have to stay in that pattern. That's what I call a stronghold, and we'll deal with that later. But emotions are instinctive. In other words, often we respond emotionally without even thinking. The response is always based on the facts at hand, which is usually not all the facts. Usually when we respond emotionally, we're jumping to conclusions and we overreact before we get all the information or we assume something and later on realize, well, we assumed wrong and by then we've already done so many things wrong that it's hard to reel it all back in. So the key to preventing this response is recognizing when we are responding uh, by emotions and when we're not. When we respond by faith, it's one thing, and when we respond by emotions, it's an entirely different matter. So we need to learn to distinguish what's taking place uh, when we begin to respond emotionally to everything. Now, under that principle, I want to give you some statements. These are statements that I think will be helpful to you in the long run. First, let me just say that we respond either by faith or by emotions, one of those two. Normally, it's not a mix of the two. There's not a lot of gray area to deal with here. 
We either respond the way God has intended for us to respond, uh, we respond the right way, or we respond out of our emotions. Now, the choice is yours to make, and you can actually train yourself to make the right choice, but we need to remember that at no point in Scripture does God sanction an emotional reaction that is not grounded in truth. At no point does God say, that's okay. Now, that doesn't say that God denies us emotions. He just doesn't want us to respond in an overly emotional response. He wants us to respond based on what the Spirit of God says for us to do, what the Scripture says we ought to do. And he wants us to have such control of our lives that we are able to keep our emotions in check the way Proverbs says a wise man does. He holds it back and then responds instead of venting his anger at the first moment like a, like a fool does. Now, there are so many verses in Scripture that support this. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul was writing to a pastor, Timothy, at the church at Ephesus, first megachurch. And he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Now, if you knew something about the historical background of Timothy and Ephesus, you would know there were a lot of threats going on. It was a tough church environment, and he was the leader. And there would have been many reasons that Timothy should be afraid, and yet the Bible says God did not give you a spirit of fear. He intends for you to walk into that situation uh, with balance and with patience and with trust instead of fear. I think Paul is actually reprimanding Timothy, a church leader, which means that any of us need reprimanding at any given moment. And he's basically saying we don't respond to things based on fear. You respond to things based on what God has given you, which is love and power and sound mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And that's a great verse to remind us that whenever you face a situation, remember that you do not have to respond emotionally. You can respond in a spirit of love and power and sound mind. God's Holy Spirit has given us that, and uh, he intends for us to walk that way. I've read this statement in a number of places. I've heard it from great speakers. It's a critical statement, something we need to think about. And here, here's the statement. Quote, the triumph of evil is only apparent, close quote. Now, as you think about that and you look around you today, you would probably agree. It sure does look obvious that the triumph of evil is at hand. There's wickedness. There's, there's awful circumstances happening everywhere, murderous intent. Uh, people are out of order, totally in chaos, there's confusion, there's mental health issues everywhere, there's all kinds of things going on that are bad. The triumph of evil is only apparent. Well, I love the statement because if you really think through it, it says it's only apparent. It only looks that way that the triumph of evil is before us. We don't see the whole picture is what it says. We need to remember that we rarely see the whole picture. And I want to apply this to you. There are certain times in your life where you think the triumph of evil is apparent. But it's only apparent. It's, all, it's, only, it's only that you see it that way. And when we see it that way, we respond emotionally because we think we've seen the whole picture and because we think we've gotten all the help that God is going to give us. But that's not always true. We respond either by faith or by emotions, in which case we often give up. A uh, second statement I want to make is, all the facts are not in until God has spoken. All the facts are not in until God has spoken. What this means is that when I'm walking daily and someone trips me up or says something or does something, or it's a circumstance that doesn't fit well with me for some reason, I must remember that my first response should be to run to truth and run to the Lord and see what he says, see what truth says. 
If I don't, I'm going to respond emotionally to something that's not the truth instead of by what God says. God has something to say about every issue we deal with. Did you know that? The Bible is absolutely sufficient for our living. And in every situation you confront, God does have something to say about your situation. Now, for years, I've read the book of Proverbs every day, every day, at least a chapter a day. And uh, it's a wealth of wisdom. It's so practical. It applies to almost every area of your life. And when I'm constantly in God's Word like that, I see God bringing wisdom into my mind that helps me respond biblically and respond in a truth-based way rather than emotionally to everything that happens around me. Okay, third statement here. Your immediate emotional response is usually wrong. Your immediate emotional response is usually wrong. And the reason I would say that is because uh, the immediate response, without giving it thought and time, will be the natural response, the fleshly response. I learned several years ago that the first thing I would normally say about anything that came into my life was usually not the truth. I learned that I had to take a step back, I had to dig down a little bit, I had to think about what God had said about it, and then I could respond. And I found that every time I responded without thinking, it was wrong. That's why we often blurt something that we had no intention of blurting or saying, and later on we have to retrace those steps and take those words back. And I found that sometimes that even happens with good things. Good things and circumstances happen, and I would get all fired up and go do something when it was not necessarily the right thing to do. If I'd waited a little while and waited to see what God said about it, I would have done something completely different. I find that in Scripture. Of course, as you would imagine, I found it in the life of Peter. And I want you to think about an incident that happened in Matthew chapter 17. Jesus was at the Mount of Transfiguration with his disciples. This is a, a famous, famous moment. And he's giving them, showing them a glimpse of his transfigured glory. And Peter got so fired up. We can all identify with Peter, can't we? I mean, always getting fired up, always doing something on the emotional side. And so here he was literally almost in a heavenly realm as anyone on earth has ever, ever really seen. And guess what he does? He responds out of those emotions in a good way, but it's not what God wanted. Here's what he said. The Bible says, Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Now, if you catch this right and understand this, God interrupts Peter. Peter's making this great, excitable statement. We're going to build tabernacles for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. All of them are right here in this transfiguration experience. And God says, hold on, Peter. Stop. Just listen to Jesus. That's what you need to do. So uh, I, kind of, I kind of love this because sometimes I get overly exuberant, overly enthusiastic about something. And I, I think God interrupts me from time to time, too. So God starts speaking, and everybody listening to Peter turns their attention to the voice that God is speaking. Peter was mouthing the words, and nobody was listening. And I think I react sometimes like that, emotionally in a very good sense, not waiting to see what God might say. And uh, then there's God coming down in that voice. Suddenly, the Bible says, well, Peter's still talking. And again, God says, this is my son. You listen to him. Now, we need to remember something. Our immediate re emotional feeling or response is usually wrong. That's true when we respond in an adverse way out of anger or frustration or when we lash out at someone. It's not the right way to respond. That's not right. Our initial desire, our initial response is usually wrong. 
Now that tells us something. It tells us that we always need to be in check and we need to wait to hear what God will say about it. So there's this acrostic that I love and it's spelled WAIT, W-A-I-T. I'll talk about it in another episode. But W-A-I-T stands for what am I thinking? And so when something happens to us, one of the best things we can do is pause, ask the question, what am I thinking? And find out how far from the truth we really are. And when we do that, we let the Holy Spirit begin to speak to us or confirm a direction in our lives. And if you let him, he'll lead you and he'll say something to you and he'll direct you or he'll bring the scripture or the truth to your memory. He'll allow you to have insight into the situation if you'll let him, if you'll wait. But often we think we have the right response right off the bat and we just go to it. And that's when we usually have to turn around and say, why did I do that? Why did I say that? And you have to go back and say you're sorry, ask their forgiveness, have to come confess to God because you did something that is not what he wanted. And don't get me wrong, he absolutely forgives us. But we must remember that God wants us to respond by faith and not by feelings. Okay, are you ready for another statement? Here it is. All of the descriptions of sin and the process of sin have an emotional base. Now, it's true that there are a few of them, and you can also see a logic base in the act of sin and the process leading up to it, but almost every one of them have an emotional base. We feel it before we do it. So let's just take this principle. Sin is emotionally based. In other words, we usually walk into a situation of sin based on our feelings and emotions, even though we may know it's wrong. Now, we may find several references to this in the Scripture, like the original sin. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, this is what it says when the first woman saw the first temptation. It says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. All right, it's one thing to look at a tree and see the fruit on it. It's another thing to feel how pleasant it is and stroke the desires to taste it And imagine how wise you're going to be when you have it. So she bought in emotionally before she ever did it physically. James says that in James chapter 1, verse 14. But each man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Now, you can't blame the devil for everybody, everything. You can't blame circumstances for everything either. Because the Bible says it's often our own thinking and our own desires that draw us away from doing the right thing. Now, we can find the basis for sin is frequently emotion. Nearly all of our sin, if you really begin to think about it, is impulse responsive. Impulsiveness leads to sin based on our emotions. But it feels so right. Of course it does. It's because our feelings are in play. In Proverbs 5 and 6, we find uh, what's called a strange woman, quote unquote, being depicted in the picture of the young man who watches her walk by. That's a really interesting narrative. She's alluring. She's inviting him. And the Bible says after watching all this, he suddenly runs to her. That's an impulsive, emotional response. He sees something he wants, and he goes for it. And, of course, that whole chapter we're talking about is a chapter warning the young man that impulsive, emotionally driven responses are going to end up wrong every time. So what characterizes sin in a Christian's life is a Christian living by emotions. He gets so based on his feelings and emotions that often he lets his feelings and emotions run off with him into sin. All right, ready for another statement? What you tolerate emotionally is usually what you will get regularly in time. 
Now, let me clarify this. If you tolerate the practice of responding emotionally to every circumstance that comes across your path, you're going to find yourself being caught in a downward spiral of doing it all the time. In extreme cases, this is what I would call a stronghold. You've done it so often, it's the rut in the road in front of you, and you just fall into that every time. It becomes a habit and becomes a pattern, and you tolerated the emotional uh, base for your decision-making and for the way you respond, and now it's captured you. Now, I have a testimony of having anger in my life. I was 16 years old when I began to see it really take place. Um, I'd seen people get mad and upset, and, and I was angry at God, angry at life, and um, I began to respond the very, very same way. And that anger began to take root in my life, and I remember being very damaging, destructive, uh, and the pattern was so strong that I just knew what happened when I got angry and um, didn't have the power to do anything about it. Uh, and I later on reaped in a huge way when that anger got the best of me. I lost friends. I, I lost relationships and respect and so forth. Now, God gave me great victory over that. But my point in this is to simply say my emotional response of anger was wrong every time. And yet that's what I seem to be chained to do. So this is also true of a relationship between a husband and a wife. You'll notice this in a relationship when their communication begins to lose its control. They stop talking to each other in a civil manner, and there's a downward spiral that gets worse and worse, and gradually it becomes yelling and throwing things and stomping out of the house. It never starts like that, but it always ends like that when we tolerate emotional responses to that degree. And the same is true of anybody that doesn't want to deal with certain problems in their life at work or in their home life, uh, uh, with other people, the neighbors, whatever it might be. They're responding emotionally instead of logically, instead of based on fact. Uh, and they may withdraw so they don't have to deal with it, so they don't have to handle the problem. But later on, as they're confronted with bigger and bigger problems, they get more withdrawn until gradually they're absolutely a recluse. And that's a coping mechanism that comes from living life based on emotions. Now, most people who have the kind of behavior that psychiatrists and psychologists call severe pathological problems or emotional problems, we would call this a, a bad case of mental health, just very unhealthy mentally, it stems from this fact. And here's the fact. As a man sows, so also shall he reap. It's a very clear principle. As you sow certain kinds of behavior, you're going to reap it more and more. The more often you build that habit, the more damaging it is and the harder it is to get out of it. If you tolerate emotional excesses in your life right now and don't deal with it, then five years down the road, you're going to have trouble dealing with it because it's dominant and you are powerless to break it without some real intervention. Now, in my own testimony, I was 19 or 20 years old. My anger had become so destructive that I was tearing up things like doors and mirrors on the walls. I would run through walls, just do stupid things. And I began to look at what I was doing and began to be aware it wasn't right. And the Lord began to convict me and I began to learn not to walk by my emotions, but to hold them back in check and then respond based on truth. And it changed my life. So if we tolerate emotional excess in our life right now and don't deal with it, later on we're going to have all kinds of problems. Um, and let me just give you some indications of the evidence of emotional and spiritual bondage. Here, here's one of those. Just kind of a sidebar here. Those who are in bondage emotionally are always talking about their feelings. That's one way we identify our bondage. They're consumed by how they feel or don't feel. This makes me feel that. That makes me feel this. This person always makes me feel this way. 
and they began to respond according to how they feel. And I'm not talking so much about physical ailments that sometimes take place in our life. Um, it's not that. It's that you allow a trigger to send you into an emotional tailspin. And you go down, down, down very quickly because you're in bondage to that emotion in your life. And you don't really want to be. This is not condemnation. This is just stating the fact that when we respond emotionally to something over and over, we are in bondage to it in so many ways. And we so often talk about how we feel and begin to base decisions on how we feel that it begins to steer our lives. And usually it's in the wrong direction. But there's another indicator, being emotionally tied into certain television programs or music uh, where you literally couldn't put them down. Certain images on a computer screen. Um, we talk about addictions today, addictions to pornography. But those same kind of addictions uh, could not be just pornographic, but addictions to certain characters or people that we are fascinated, even obsessed by. Well, we're, we're operating on an emotional level and not on a factual level. And then another indicator of emotional bondage is that spiritual discipline begins to be neglected because we don't feel like doing it. We don't do the things we ought to do because we don't feel like it. And we begin to not want to worship God, not want to pray, not want to open our Bible and base our lives on truth. There's no logical reason for us not to do it. Biblically, we know that if we spend time with God, he'll honor it. So we let feelings keep us from doing things that we know are right, and that's an evidence of being in bondage emotionally. Here's another evidence. One of the clearest evidences of emotional bondage is when we begin to elevate feeling above facts. This is the place that I call um, basically core confusion. We're confused about the core of truths uh, in our lives. Uh, often, I can use this example quite frequently, there's a, there's a great deal of a gender dysphoria today where people uh, feel like they were born and placed in a wrong body. And usually that kind of feeling begins at a very early age in life and someone validates that and they begin to believe it's true when in fact it's not. And when this begins to happen, then they are in bondage to that and all their decision making begins to take on that characteristic. It happens, it happens often. So it's important to understand uh, that what we tolerate is eventually what will get multiplied many, many times over. Now, there are four indications there that are pretty interesting. Now, here, here's another statement of a fact that I've given you six of them in all, and this is number six. Feelings, like thoughts, can and must be transformed. Now, we're going to spend our next episode dealing with that, but I want to give you some references to dealing with how feelings are transformed and channeled into spiritual avenues that you can look at later. So listen carefully. God gave you your feelings for a reason. You have emotions. You have feelings for a very real reason. And the reason he gave them to you is not so you can be led by them, but he gave you that spiritual energy of your emotions so that you can channel them in appropriate ways and appropriate responses. Like everything else God has given us, he's also given us a mind to think with. He doesn't want us to use our mind thinking about wrong, evil things. He's given us a mind to channel our thoughts into his word and his word into our minds and lives. Here's a fact for you. He wants to transform us in our thinking, but it's also true of our wills and our emotions. We would naturally desire to sin, but God wants us to transform our wills to want to follow him. And the same is true of our emotions. There are several examples of this. Uh, many of them you may know a lot about. Um, if you want a good example, read the Garden of Gethsemane accounts where Jesus came into the garden, and you'll see the transformation take place in the area of his emotions. 
Uh, he was a man who was made a high priest. He could sympathize with our weaknesses. He had feelings, but he learned to deal with them. And walking into Gethsemane, he was heavy. His heart was sorrowful. He was sweating drops of blood. And uh, I can't help but believe there's some aspect of fear involved because he was on his way to the cross. And he was about to die and take on himself the sins of mankind. But the Bible shows that transformation as he kneels before the Father. He gives his feelings, his emotions over to the Lord, and he gets up with resolve. And that's a huge, huge thing in our life. Those feelings turn from sorrowful, perhaps even fear, to a genuine burden for lost people that he might die on the cross for them and transform their lives. So you see that transforming process. You see it in the New Testament where the disciples are afraid because they've been forbidden to talk about Jesus and the gospel. But in verse 29 of Acts 4, there's this great, great prayer. They said, now, Lord, look on their threats, all the people that were threatening them, and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. In other words, we're not going to be led by fear. We're going to be led by boldness. Then there's another verse, 1 Thessalonians 5:18, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now to some who hear that verse, they'll, they'll say, that doesn't make sense. I have lots of bad things happen to me. How can I give thanks in those situations? But the Bible's prescription is for us to learn to give thanks as an act of faith, that God can bring us through that. We don't have to be dominated by the fear or dread that those things, ha- that those things create for us. If we determine to respond in gratitude and faith. Now, I know there are some that are listening to this podcast who have real problems, real threats in their lives. Uh, but instead of responding in fear and depression, you need to be able to respond in thanksgiving for everything, knowing that God can transform your life. Then one of the most notable verses is Philippians 4, 6. The Bible says, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, no matter how anxious the situation is that you're facing, you're told to pray about it and add thanksgiving to your requests. And you're told to be assured that God will hear the prayer and he will give you peace that passes understanding. So the transformation is from anxiety to peace through an act of our will and through faith and obedience. See, God's in the transforming business, and he'll help you no matter how difficult it is. Another verse, John 14, 1, where Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. So Jesus is getting ready to to go to the cross, and he knows the disciples are going to be dismayed. He says, Don't be troubled. I mean, what you see is going to be troubling, but don't you be troubled. Believe in me instead. In other words, use that weapon of faith and trust and obedience. I looked in every account where angels confront men at different situations in their lives and speak to them, and the very first thing angels say, almost without exception, is fear not. Don't respond the wrong way. Instead of being terrified by this angel God has sent, realize this is an angel God has sent. Don't get caught up in your emotions. Don't run. God's going to say something or do something in a powerful, powerful way. So let me conclude this episode by asking a couple of questions. One of them is, what characterizes your response to circumstances? I'm not suggesting that we become robots that are emotionless. I'm suggesting we learn to wait a second before we respond to anyone and let the Lord and his truth speak to us about how we should respond. And you can't do that without being in the Word. You can't do that without knowing what Scripture says. The fact is, you do not have to live under the domination of your feelings and emotions. 
but you can live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Second question, how do you, how do you respond to circumstances to slaps on the face that hit us every day? How do you respond to the driver who cuts over into your lane and looks back and gives you some kind of indication that maybe you're the one at fault? How do you respond to the child that doesn't obey? How do you get, uh, do you get mad first and emotional or do you deal with it biblically and spiritually? See, we're often dominated by our emotions a great deal. How do you respond when someone in the office is promoted above you or when someone walks in and gives you the ax? How about when you see an opportunity but God doesn't let you have it? How do you respond then? Is your response characterized by emotion or by waiting and responding in trust to God? So here's the deal. God wants us to change the emotional responses we take and often take. As a result of circumstances, he wants to change them from being emotional responses to fact-based responses. It's one of my goals as a Christian is not to be dominated by emotions, but rather by what God would have me do. And that should be all of us, not to respond to what we feel, but to respond to what God says to do. Stay with us. I'm going to show you the picture that can change your life in the next episode. Thank you so much for joining us in The Prospering Soul. Uh, I encourage you to pass it on to other people. Let them know what you're listening to. Uh, I encourage you to let them know how it's helped you. Thank you so much for joining us.